Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Spiritual Unity Radio Network, a station dedicated to the concept that all manifestations of the divine are equally valid. Join Reverend Terry Power HP, Robin McKean, and all the hosts for programming covering a wide range of spiritual topics right here on Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Voice of Olympus. I'm Hercules Invictus, and today I'm honored to announce uh, that I'll be conversing with Bob Vossler, who is the Admiral of the USS Challenger for Starfleet International. And this will be in a segment called Starfleet Adventures, which starts now. Greetings, Bob. How are you? Oh, it's always great to be back here with you and uh, talking over old times and talking about the future. That it is, and the the months zoom by so fast. I, I was amazed uh, when I was looking at my schedule. It's like, oh, it's uh, Starfleet Adventures time again. <laughs> I know this whole year has been going by pretty fast. Yes, it ha- it has been. It's been zooming. Um, I have tried to order a Star Trek Discovery, but the universe doesn't want me to have it yet. Uh, uh, the first uh, order, uh, something happened. They said it was mailed, and then they canceled and said they were out of stock and didn't know when it would be in stock. I ordered it again, and it, it's been a week past the delivery date, so now we're dealing with that uh, uh, through eBay. So I don't know what it is with uh, uh, watching it. I tried getting it through my library as well, and there was a glitch there too. So I guess I'll have to wait a bit to, to discover what that's all about. That's funny because we had a, a person uh, at, at our library today that uh, that I checked out their uh, their DVD for season one. <laughs> so, I saw season two is out. I saw on eBay that season two uh, is out. You can get it from China. Oh wow! For, yeah, for less than ten dollars. So uh, uh, I'm going to check to see what the uh, feedback is on that before I order it. Well, um, speaking of China, we one of my uh, crew who who we've uh, you've conversed with before, Todd uh, Brugmans, he uh, came to our last meeting and he brought along a uh, a new Star Trek Discovery Gold Command uh, shirt, the one that uh, Ensign Mount, uh, who plays Captain Pike, wears, mm-hmm. and he ordered it from a company from China. 
And uh, while while they're extra, actually, he brought a three extra large. That's what they call it, but it's actually more like one of our extra larges because I guess they're not as large. But anyway, they did like the quality is incredible. It really is. I mean, you know, it. Uh, I tried it on, um, and it and it fit. I don't know what that says that it was an extra a three X. But again, it wasn't a really a, a one of a three X, you know, to us. No, so, it wasn't. Uh, I buy uh, clothing, and uh, um, when I buy clothing that's from abroad, um, the sizes are are wacky. Like here, I'm a medium and a large in all things, uh, and uh, those fit me a little loosely, you know, especially the large ones. But uh, I ordered uh, a large from uh, abroad. I believe it was from China, and I couldn't get into it at all. Uh, so I had to order like double or triple <laughs> X, uh, which here is yeah. a large. So it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, but but we found the uh, the uh, quality was incredible, and uh, yeah. they had some other uniforms from different Star Trek periods, and I'm sure they probably have the, the same company probably. Uh, provides costumes for other, you know, sci-fi genre as well. But the prices were incredibly affordable. And if the quality yes. was as good as that, then, you know, then I then I want to invest in, uh, you know, a few other things. I mean, it was like $14 and, certain, you know, like ridiculous prices. But but I, I, I guess you know, the shipping is probably more expensive. But, you know. Shipping from China hasn't been that expensive, and uh, delivery is usually fast, too. Uh, oh, I didn't expect news, that. It was like the regular $4 delivery or free delivery, and uh, uh, it came within days. So I was really surprised uh, uh, by the speed of the orders. I don't know how this uh, tariff wars is going to affect things, but uh, at the present and in the recent past, uh, you can get very affordably uh, from, from China a lot of really great things. Yeah, we'll have to contact the president and say, please don't put any tariff on Star Trek uh, there you costuming go. for kids. <laughs> now, Our players don't have a lot of money. We need to. <laughs> we should start a petition. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I'm sure it will be taken very seriously. <laughs> by, by those of us who are into costuming, most certainly so. Uh, by everybody else, I don't know. Um, I also followed uh, some of the um, uh, things you were letting me know about with uh, Picard and uh, uh, the new season of Discovery and the Orville, things we talked about last time, and I was trying to follow them online. Uh, Picard looks like it's going to be very interesting, very different uh, in terms of its concept, and it seems to be moving forward, too. Yeah, I can't wait for this show. I really, really... Um, can't believe that we, that that it's been so long since uh, since Nemesis, um, and uh, I, I think they're going to pick up a point in Picard's life. We've we've never seen this in Star Trek before. I mean, the closest no. we've gotten was that they focused a little bit on the aging process, you know, starting with Star Trek II into the movies, uh, you know, seeing how the crew has grown older, but are still very, you know, we're still very active and, um, you know, seeing how, how they made decisions in their life and how, you know, their, their devotion to 
Starfleet and exploration, you know, uh, impacted their lives. You know, we saw Sulu had found time to have a family where Kirk had some regrets, you know, that, that, that perhaps that, you know, he wore the uniform and, and that became his life. But, um, I, I think, you know, beyond what the mystery will, will unfold, uh, concerning Picard, you know, as to why he left Starfleet, um, you know, I think it will also certainly address the fact, uh, you know, that, that he's gotten older, you know, much, much older and, and, and has, um, reached a point in his life where he's either going to feel very comfortable about what he's done in his life and career, or, or he may express some regrets. Um, we don't, we don't know really what it's going to be, you know, what, what we'll actually see, but it's going to be fascinating either way. Yeah, it'll be great to revisit uh, Picard, the next generation, and uh, uh, that particular uh, timeline that uh, he's in. Um, do you think they'll make some attempt to reconcile the, the past with uh, the present and the future? Um, I think they will. I think this will be a bridge, no pun intended, but a, a bridge to what we knew as, as, you know, from the next gen era to what, what we're, what we currently have with discovery. And I don't mean necessarily that they'll connect directly uh, discovery to uh, next gen, but I think, you know, storytelling has changed over time just as, just as we saw, you know, different kind of storytelling techniques between classic Trek and next gen, you know, we're certainly seeing, um, you know, a different type of focus with, uh, you know, with discovery, you know, um, deep space nine uh, had a, a, a much uh, larger use of uh, story art and things like that. And next gen even had a more of a continuity um, to prior episodes uh, referenced and things like that. than we saw in, um, in, in classic track. It was right. rare that, that we, that we heard reference of anything uh, prior. And that was just the way that stories were constructed and written back in the 1960s. And, and, you know, uh, we saw that that things had you know had changed over the years. Um, so you know I, I, I think I think this will bring it almost like a full circle. I, you know I, I also think that in 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 some ways we'll see somewhat of a con- conclusion to to the Picard story. You know whether that means that that he passes or you know and I don't want to be morbid or that we see some some semblance of, you know, peace with whatever he's doing in his life, you know, but I think a lot of it's going to center around uh, this secret mission that he has, and it won't be with, you know, uh, familiar characters. It will be with probably a lot of young people. So it'll be a little bit of a passing of the baton in some ways, you know. Um, Yeah, I'm not saying that these other characters are Starfleet members. I, I mean, we don't know, but, um, he certainly is, you know, it certainly hints from all the rumors that uh, and things that have been reported that uh, he, that he'll, he'll be commanding another crew, you know, like do and, and that they're 
they have a quest, they have a mission uh, to perform. So, you know. It reminds me of that episode uh, in, uh, I believe it was Deep Space Nine, where the Klingons from the original show had that quest. Uh, that they were all going on to find the the sword of Kalos, and uh, mm-hmm. um, it, it sounds kind of like that. You know, uh, I'm I, I'm wondering if they're going to have surprise appearances by others uh, of the bridge crew. That would be I awesome. If they did. I, I I'm certainly hoping they will. They they know the fans want it. They you yeah. Know, I, I believe uh, Jonathan Frakes is directing you know, an episode or two or, or more of, of the Picard series. So I can't, I can't believe that we, um, that having Jonathan breaks there won't uh, influence the idea of having Riker there uh, or Deanna Troy, uh, or at the very least, we're going to, we're going to learn what transpired in those other years. You know, did, did any of them, uh, you know, did, did, what happened to the Enterprise? You know, we, we know that, that Picard led some great arm, rescue armada. Was this rescue armada, did it have anything to do with the destruction of, of the Romulan homeworld? You know, was that what their mission was? And, and did he learn something along the way? Um, you know, we, we, we just, you know, and by that I mean, did he learn something that Starfleet or the Federation did that wasn't uh, ethical, and is that where he had his, uh, you know, uh, crisis of of confidence in in what he was doing? Is that why he left, or was it something totally different? You know, um, it, it's whatever be it is, a, I'm sure it'll be amazing. Yeah, yeah, um, and I and I think they'll work very hard to keep consistent with what we've seen of Picard before in, in, in that respect, I mean, his character, I, I, I don't think they'll um, suddenly, you know, throw us a, a curveball on, on that, but it would have to be something pretty drastic for Picard, as we discussed last month, um, for him to have decided to, uh, to have left Starfleet, especially after the, the big conversation he had with, uh, Captain Kirk in uh, Generations. Wow. You know, where, um, where, where, where Kirk basically says, don't, not only don't leave Starfleet, but, you know, don't leave that, that command chair. Don't do anything because while you're there, you can make a difference. So uh, what was it that made him feel that he could no longer make a difference? That That's going to be a key you know, key element to the series. Oh, most certainly. So uh, you had said last time that it was a mini series rather than a continuing series at this point. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what I originally had been told. I I believe it was supposed to, supposed to be 10 uh, episodes. That's why I I do feel that this may well be, you know, the swan song for, for the character of, of uh, Jean-Luc Picard. Um, whether he actually, you know, I, and again, I don't want to be morbid. I don't want to say that, oh, he might die by the end of it. But I, I wouldn't leave that, you know, um, possibility within the storyline. Um, you know, uh, I, I wouldn't leave that as a as a potential way that they can conclude it. Um, 
you know, I, 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 and again, maybe maybe the ratings will be high enough that they might reconsider and say, you know, maybe we can make this a, a bigger, you know, if 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 Patrick Stewart is actually interested in doing another ongoing series, even one that would be of of limited episodes, because you know, let's face it, he's he's up in age, you know. Yes. <laughs> And and also as an actor, I think even at at his age, he wants the challenge of, you know, playing other roles and doing other things. And and um, I I think the idea of bringing Picard back after all these years, you know, we we forget that you know he hasn't played this part in in quite a while because we we constantly see the movies and the and the episodes. Um, but you know, to him, that was a great challenge of bringing him back. But bringing him back on a on a regular basis, I, I don't know if that that would be something appealing to him. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's only like ten episodes. It's it's not even you know as many as uh, well. Discovery, I think, was fifteen this year. Uh, I'm I'm forgetting. I didn't now, see the but... second season. I just saw the first season. Uh, oh no, yeah, Discovery hasn't been on yet. Uh, yeah, um, these a lot. Well, a lot of these, uh, you know, Netflix and, and streaming service shows aren't what we think of as a full season, right? Because um, in our day, <laughs> you and I, we we watch shows like, uh, you know, like Starsky and Hutch and. And 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 things you know the average episode count was you know 26 episodes. Then I think sometime around the 80s it got scaled back to 22 episodes uh, yes. a season. And we didn't have these split season situations where you'd have the you know uh, a winter finale and a and a regular season finale. Um, you know that's that's all been a change of of the last you know five, ten years that, that we've seen. Um, so, um, you know, um, and I know some of it has to do with budget and um, like even the Orville. I know that uh, uh, Seth MacFarlane has, uh, you know, said that he, he didn't want to do, a, even if, if Fox gave him enough money, to produce, um, you know, a 20 episode season. He, he didn't want to do that because he wanted to really focus on trying to make it a very quality, you know, quality series um, yeah. with the writing and, and everything. So he, he only wanted to do uh, uh, 10 to 13 episodes. So, um, although I, I still miss the days when we had, um, you know, I mean, in, in Star Trek's day, I mean, uh, I think we had 31 episodes per season. I, I could be wrong. I mean, it's yeah, it was 79 a episodes. It was certainly more than 26. I, I, I seem to recall that. I mean, you know, and when you, when we think back to it, how amazing was that? That, you know, no, no wonder we had, you know, uh, some of the props and things that we did on a shoestring, you know, because um, they were produced, they were cranking out so many episodes and, 
those are some pretty long days for the actors, especially those actors who had to have heavy makeup. So, uh, you know, it, it, it really is incredible. Oh, it is. And the, the fact that now here we are decades later and these stories are still significant to us and we still want to enter the stories uh, uh, through our diverse activities and uh, uh, even recreational activities like uh, playing games and uh, so forth. Uh, it, it's really amazing how powerful these stories are. Yes. I mean, and, and like you said, we're, we're a part of it, you know, like we're, yes. you know, we, 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 we don't get enough just by the episodes. We don't get enough just by the books. We don't get enough by the graphic novels or the, or the regular novels or the, you know, we have the games, we have, uh, you know, both, both computer games and uh, tabletop games um, because we, we want to extend that universe. We want to, utilize our own imagination and uh, come up with, you know, our own, you know, because we each have our own vision of, of what we'd like to see, you know, um, and, and what characters we'd like to use and, 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 our, and characters that we create. So, I know, you know. That, that's a lot of fun. I, I remember when I first started role-playing uh, Star Trek, uh, I've, I've shared the story before, so I'll abbreviate it. Uh, but basically, I wanted to focus on uh, uh, like a sequel to Who Mourns for Adonis, and uh, mm-hmm. so I, I created a role-playing game uh, and uh, kind of took it up, you know, from there. And that was the first uh, Trek role-playing game, and that's uh, that I did, and that that's what led to our eventually coming forth as Klingons, uh, because nobody else was interested in being an Olympian, but they really wanted to be Klingons. <laughs> so that's. That's what we did, um, but it, it was uh, great. Um, you could, in addition to the books and the uh, television shows and the movies to draw from and to tie into, uh, there were also all sorts of uh, uh, figurines and models and so forth. So uh, with the Klingons, we had a bird of prey. Uh, we had schematics to a bird of prey. We had a model bird of prey. So uh, it was all very real. It's like uh, you had all these um, objects that you can manipulate and immerse yourself, uh, you know, further into the um, the the story. And the role playing game made it easy to weave yourself into the story. So uh, those are some fantastic uh, times. And uh, I remember I used to weave like uh, aliens from other universes, from Doctor Who, from Star Wars, from uh, the show Alf on TV. Uh, that was. Uh, you know, very very fun game. Yeah, and in some ways, um, it was great to see, uh, you know, companies like FASA, um, you know, involved with with some of the you know design work, uh, which a lot of was done by some fans, fans who yes. you know, were they were fans and they became involved with the company. Um, and then it was also cool that there were certain things that uh, were left open. You know, uh, uh, you know, holes left that fans could fill in and say, you know what, this is what I think. This is this this is how we would design this ship, or this is how this is the backstory of that alien race that we we didn't see much in either the classic episode or or next gen. You know, like car- you know, races like the Breen or the you know the Andorians or. You know, for for a, for a long time, you know, uh, 
the Andorian race was uh, known as coming from Andor. You know, that's what I remember. And then only until Enterprise did, did they rename it Andoria. Um, I didn't know I that. Kind of prefer, I prefer Andor, to be honest. It sounds better. Me too. That's just me. Um, but, but, you know, it, it was it, it certainly allowed for fans to uh, jump on and, and pick up uh, – in, in fan fiction and, and, you know, in gaming, um, you know, utilizing our own imagination and, and filling in those blanks of uh, what, what we thought, you know, like speculating. And I think that's, that's so cool. Yeah. yeah that, that is really cool. I remember going to conventions where people would hang out at the bar and they'd be dressed in all these, uh, um, either Starfleet uniforms or uh, dressed as alien races. So you had everything from like Orions to Andorians. Uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, that that was a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm sorry. I mean, even certainly the Klingons. Like we learned a lot more about the Klingon Empire during you know the Next Gen and and Deep Space Nine. Um, but uh, you know, like if we go uh, just post. Star Trek, the motion picture, you know, we had to know, well, like, why did they look so different? You know, like, yes, right. Roddenberry decided I, this is what he wanted them to look like, but he didn't have the, the, uh, you know, the financial ability to, to, uh, create that, that, uh, makeup at the time or to have that, 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 uh, makeup capability. But, you know, it's like, we had a, we had like all kinds of theories you know, going on that we, that we, again, we had to fill in that blank because I think sci-fi fans in general and certainly Star Trek fans in particular are big on continuity. Like we always have to, we want everything consistent, even though it (laughs) it never ends up being consistent. Um, You know, but, but we always have to come up with an explanation of why things even even when we see in you know discrepancies in continuity, we you know we uh, we we find a way to explain it away you know <laughs> so. And that's a good thing. It's uh it, very lots yeah. of creativity. I remember with Trek there were all sorts of uh, explanations like for, for why the Klingons look different in the original series as they did on mm-hmm. Next Gen and uh, somebody named Ford I forget his first name wrote a series of books. Uh, they kind of explained it uh, better than anybody else. And although they weren't uh, adopted into uh, um, canon later on, they were kind of dismissed uh, among fans. That became the ex- explanation, and all the honorifics he came up with became part of uh, you know, the, the experience of uh, being a Klingon back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, and, and, and at conventions... Uh... It was cool to see both the the new Klingons and fans who who were you know had the the uh, the, the traditional Klingons from from uh, the classic episodes you know side by side you know and and there was a great uh, camaraderie of, of of the Klingon fandom which of course you know um, because yeah, you were sure. part of that and. You know, and, and we in Starfleet loved that. I mean, I know I did. I mean, I know at times there was some fun uh, role-playing kind of 
jabs at, at you know, Betty's and, and, you know, and, and bump heads and we, you know, say, oh, we have a secret weapon against you guys and then pull out a triple, you know, um, yes, yes. but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, some people took it a bit too seriously, I remember. Uh, but uh, it, it was uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I look back uh, with fondness uh, upon those days. And now with the new uh, Trek uh, thing that uh, we're working on, I'm hoping to um, help bring back some of those uh, good times and produce a whole new set of uh, of good uh, memories. Um, I'm ready to start. And uh, one of the things I want to discuss with you uh, tonight is how can we actually uh, begin. Um, I have a premise and a storyline. Uh, I have a, a small group of people and plans to expand that uh, small group of people over time. Um, and uh, we have a meeting place. And uh, then we have an activity uh, you know, to draw people in. Like, for instance, we're, we're doing a, a retro sci-fi movie. And uh, I've been published in over 10 or 11 anthologies this past year and a half or so uh, with uh, like mostly paranormal things with UFOs. So we're going to take like a topic like vampires in space. And I've written something about that. And there are a few retro sci-fi movies about that topic. So we're going to show like a movie. Um, I'm going to talk about the, the topic that I wrote about. And, uh, um, and then uh, we're going to have... Um, a like you know Star Trek uh, club meeting, and uh, I have a lot of science fiction books that I'm going to donate, and uh, people can give their own books if they want to raise money for the library. So people will be able to come in and buy like you know all sorts of sci-fi books inexpensively, uh, and that money will go towards uh, helping the library. And uh, right now we're playing with costume designs, and uh, we have other groups uh, joining us, not from uh, our local area, unfortunately. Uh, but from Florida and some other places, we have other people who want to play. Uh, so uh, it should uh, create for an interesting experience. Uh, for now, I just reminded people we have a Facebook group there, and I'm inviting whoever wants to participate uh, to participate. But how can we more officially uh, proceed with this and, like, uh, you know, open the door uh, for folks of the USS Challenger or the USS Justice, for instance? Have you gone to... Uh, SFI.org, uh, the Starfleet website. Um, I know there is areas there. I, I tried to, to basically send you the, the link directly, but you have to go to the site, and there is areas where um, where you could get the documents. You know, the the uh, paperwork. Uh, okay. Right there and, and and because you have everything in, in place, I believe you've got you certainly have members in, of Starfleet, uh, and you only need five to start. And I know you have that. Uh, yeah, so I sent five in with my initial, uh, um, yeah. you know, with the initial applications. Yeah. Yeah, you probably have more than that five at this point. Um, yeah, this one you. I was just waiting to get the paperwork back, and that's why I would su submit like five, six people at a time. Uh, but I've had as many as 50 um, ask to become part of what we're doing. But I think I only registered six because I was waiting to go through the process with the six, then just keep doing it in multiples of, you know, whatever. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, that would work, too. Did you, did you fill out that site? Because I, I hadn't yeah. heard anything from... Starfleet uh, operations. 
Yeah, I filled I filled it out. I I paid for it. Everything. I, I was just waiting to hear back. Uh, I haven't no, received it. Did you yet. fill out the 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 form the the, the yes. vessel registration form? That I don't know, but I filled out uh, the name. I, I have gotten a copy. I have to get a copy. Wayne has to get a copy. You know, uh, it's and I and I thought everything is you know these days is all electronic so we would be sent a copy if 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 it was all filled out but uh we we've got to get <laughs> we've got to get you guys uh you know officially Register, on yeah. the clock here so um, yes I, and i know we've been talking about it or something i'll follow through with it and then i'll i'll just uh once we get the first batch I'll register i'll follow up with the second batch of people and uh yeah um, and 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 I know you were you were uh, talking about the different class of ship and the name. I know you had a couple of name suggestions. Uh, that has to, you know, that that's all part of it. So we we've got to, you know, um, move to the next step. You know, um, and, and if you did send something in, I mean, there there may have been a disconnect somewhere along the line. We've got to track that down. You know, I'll uh, I'll 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 talk to uh, Jonathan Simmons, who's our you know the Starfleet operations person. But I, I have a feeling that something wasn't filled out that you may have thought you did, because by now we would have heard something. You know, um, I didn't receive any emails that I know of. I, I just filled out the names of the people and their information, uh, and then I, I paid. Through the membership, I mean, I think yes, you did yes, that. Sir. Yeah, but there's a there's a whole thing on Sci-Fi. In fact, let's see. May that make for interesting listening of our li- listeners here, but we we me... could do it off the air too. We could move on past this point. Yeah. I mean, you know, th- this is like a minor thing because it'll get it'll get settled. Uh, um, but uh, how would I extend the invitation officially um, so that we could start uh, um, participating? Should I write something out and then uh, send it to you and uh, send it to Wayne? Yeah, yeah, that would that would be good too. Um, and I'm I'm looking here. You know, I won't get all into mundane stuff, but uh, I was trying to see if there was some way I can direct you because. Otherwise, I would have sent you the link directly, but uh, there was no way to send a, a link within the uh, regions of Starfleet. Looking looking to start a chapter, you go to Our Fleet under the Our Fleet section, and Wait a second, I'm under there, there's there's three things that says chapter listing, regions of Starfleet, and then looking to start a chapter. So then you click on... I can't find our fleet. Oh, wait a second. Uh, Romulans. Is it on the bottom or on the top? When you go to sfi.org, at the top of the page, there's there's the Starfleet logo at your left, and then there's, uh, in white letters against a black background, there's home, uh, about SFI, and then there's our fleet going from left to right. Okay, so I click our and fleet. Then, yeah, you click our fleet, 
And then under that, there's those three things. And the third is uh, wanting to start a chapter. Oh, wait. And then I'm not getting... you, you click on that and you'll, you'll see. Uh, Starfleet can't find a chapter in your area, want to start your own, no problem. And then it walks you through contacting SHOC, which stands for the Shuttle Operations Command, which actually we don't even use that scenario anymore, but we keep the name of SHOC because it used to be when you formed a ship, we called you a shuttlecraft, but now it's more like your ship, but you go on your training cruise for nine months. That's the fictional scenario, um, but you still have a, a support ship. Uh, so then you hit contact shock today and trying to open up out contact shock. yeah uh, okay. welcome to outlook next next yeah i have my computer's very slow so if i take yeah. a while to get there I'm on the contact yeah, shot. Yeah, shot mine, 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 brought up, mine brought up this whole thing about Outlook. So mine's, you know, I'm not, okay. I'm not, uh, I'm not like going, I said, breaking we, any speed limits either, you know, here. We, we can break, we can move past this and, and that we, we okay. can settle all this uh, afterwards. Um, but so I could write something up and basically tell a little bit about the story that uh, we're telling um, mm-hmm. and, uh, the, the story's basically going to be like, uh, you know, what happened to Apollo, um, and trying mm-hmm. to find answers. And, uh, in our investigation of, uh, the Federation, we find that it's indeed a good organization. So, you know, we're not coming in as, uh, uh in a warlike way. Uh, and then, right. uh, our review of records, we see that there is a presence of the old gods, uh, um, in this, uh, a particular universe, so we ex- you know, we're going to be exploring that and tracking them down. So that's that's going to be essentially the story, and uh, then we have characters on board that uh, are either Egyptian or from like sword and planet type of planets, and they have their agendas. But they're part of this uh, um, e- exploration, which will also be through time and alternate dimensions. So. Uh, uh, that's kind of like the premise, and uh, we'd like to invite people to play along. Uh, the people in the USS Odyssey are staying on their ship. Um, that's down south in Florida. So their mm-hmm. ship is going to be interacting with our vessel, and they're in a different Star Trek club that seems to be inactive at which this is, point. Which is perfectly fine. I mean, you know, like, like that's the really cool thing. Not only do you, you know, as a, as a chapter of Starfleet, not only do you have all these chapters to interact with, um, within your own region, but and, and throughout the entire world of you know uh, literally the world because we're an international organization. But you know nothing says you can't uh, interact with with other Star Trek uh, groups. That's what that's what fandom's all about is interacting, right. and meeting up with people, uh, short, you know, uh, short distance and long distance. Um, you know that's that's been uh you know part of the whole uh premise of of fandom is just reaching out and bringing fans together and uh these days you know with with the internet and everything we you know there's so many more ways you know to do to to connect than ever before yes 
And uh, the Florida group said that there was another Star Trek group uh, that was uh, kind of like uh, uh, Starfleet Marines. Yeah, and that's what they did down there. So uh, they told them about this, and they're interested in playing too. So uh, in the next uh, show, the next conversation with them, I'm going to set that up with, with them. Uh, and uh, for here locally, we could set it up. Uh, I'm even willing to like uh, have a babble. Uh, before the end of the year, where we all get together in a restaurant and encourage people to cosplay and uh, uh, you know, have a grand old time and try to bring back that feeling of uh, uh, the costumed alien bar, <laughs> just to start things off on the right foot. Well, you know, you're, if your chapter uh, decides that it would like to have a uh, Starfleet Marine strike group, uh, Starfleet, you know, as our organization has a, I call it a program, some call it a department, but it's just semantics, has a separate, you know, program on Starfleet Marines, um, which has its own uh, Marine Academy courses and its its kind of own activities, uh, although it can be done through the chapter level, just as we have in Starfleet, um, the Starfleet Academy, which has all these uh, correspondence classes uh, and courses you could take and, and get, you know, uh, certificates and credit for. And, and a lot of them are things like, you know, from Star Trek, of course, um, you know, the Vulcan Science Academy, the, uh, you know, uh, alien uh, uh, history of uh, worlds like Telar and Andor, or excuse me, Andoria. Um, you know, and other planets in Star Trek. And then there's some that actually have nothing to do with Star Trek, but given that we know that Starfleet members are fans of other things uh, and other, you know, related genre, you know, like there are so many courses right now. I mean, from everything that includes superheroes to horror to I think there's a James Bond one. I mean, there's. There's a lot of that, and um, you know, I encourage you to when you you know when you get a chance to check out you know the the sfi.org and you know check out the the uh, I know there's a link to the Starfleet Academy. You get to you get a glimpse at that. You'll get a glimpse at the at the Marines, uh, you know, and then you may not want to have the Marines, but you know, uh, we did for a while. But it's not, you know, right now it's not an interest. But, but um, you know, I'm 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 in a reserve in the Marines. So, uh, which is funny because the one thing is, canon-wise, there is no Starfleet Marines, but there's Mako. No, there's, really? You know, there, there, yeah. But, you know, that's never stopped. Again, going back to our original point tonight, that's never stopped Star Trek fans and and sci-fi fans from wanting to create you know, expand the universe uh, and create something um, that fills in a hole, you know, and, and many people who have an appreciation for real life military always felt that, you know, uh, uh, Starfleet being the Navy, there would have to be uh, an army or a Marine contingent to be the ground pounders in, in issue in, in situations of conflict. So they, you know, they created the the Starfleet Marines, and you know, the Starfleet Marines have been in a, a separate organization. It might even be the same one that that you were just mentioning, 
or it could be the Marines that were part of Starfleet as a subgroup. Um, but it's always attached to the chapter. So it always has okay. that connection to the chapter. So it's not like a separate, separate thing, but it's a program that you can be part of. Um, just like there is, <laughs> there's, there's a program called Pet Fleet. Uh, that is you basically told me about that. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my 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 late Peppy was part of that, and uh, the puppies are are now part of that. And um, I, I, I forgot if I enrolled the cats, but basically it's a, it's it's kind of something fun. You just you post some pictures of uh, of your of your pets. Um, and it, it originally started off with the mascots too, so they could be non-living things, like you know, like if uh, if, if you had a stuffed animal as a mascot or something like that. But mostly, it's about pets, and um, you know, we we share a lot of of those, and and they send out nice little certificates that you can print out, and you share some stories of of the goofy things your your pets have done, and. And unfortunately, in sad cases, when your your pet passes, you know, I got a very nice um, kind of a ceremonial certificate of, or you know, con, you know, condolence, uh, you know, uh, letter, you know, when when Peppy passed. Um, so, but it's 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 nice because a lot of Starfleet members are pet owners, you know, uh, have yes. pets, and it's a it's another way way to share things, you know, um, share interests and, you know, even beyond Star Trek. And, you know, a lot of those pictures that we see are, you know, the pets in Star Trek uniforms, you know, and stuff like that, you know. Uh, it's very cute. I will definitely be enrolling our pets. Uh, we have cats and a dog. Uh, our our dog recently uh, died and we adopted another one from a pet rescue. Um, oh, so, uh, nice. Yeah, so we know what it's like to lose uh, a puppy. Um, and uh, this new dog is very different in personality, but she's very loving and very attentive. And uh, um, so I'm sure she'd uh, love to be in uh, Pet Fleet. And <laughs> I'll tell my yeah. wife, uh, we had made uh, Xena, or my wife had made Xena, uh, a, a, a Cleolantra uniform from the old Rocky Jones uh, um, space serial. Uh, so, uh, so I'm sure that Nebula um, will have uh, her own space clothes very soon. Well, that's 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 adorable. You know, I mean, they're they're very special, and you know what? Um, in, in some respects, they they become part of the crew. You know, just beyond beyond the uh, the owner. Um, you, you know, because at at meetings and things like that, you know. Peppy would always come out, and sometimes we we had a little uh, we had a little USS Challenger hoodie for him, uh, uh. and and things like that. And and he never you know he never uh, complained about wearing the the the, the costume. I, I I you know or, or attire. I I don't think uh, our new uh, our new puppy recruits would either. Um, uh, Gidget and uh, Casanova, but, uh, you know, but, but they're now part of, you know, we had a, a meeting or an event here, uh, last month. And of course we had a, 
we had to bring them out and everybody took turns holding them and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, that is so great. That is so awesome. So, um, you know, when you get a chance, just check that out. I think you'll, you'll, you'll find, um, you know, a lot of different resources that you, you may not have realized that we have and different ways to have fun, you know, um, through through the international level and and stuff like that and of course the regional level you'll be part of the you know our regional family i mean you're you're kind of already part of that i mean you you know we we you you've been part i believe you're part of our our seven facebook page because you you, you've always been posting and i appreciate that that is awesome you know and feel free to post pictures of what you guys do you know during your during your, um, you know, like now and 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 onward, uh, you know, we had our 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 friends from the USS Sterling, uh, based in Binghamton, New York, last week went to uh, some museum um, with a lot of uh, dinosaur um, figures and and things like that. So they 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 took pictures and shared that, and I'm I'm always you know sharing stuff that we do on Challenger. Yes, so um you know i'm I'm never bashful about that, and i I do it not only just to share what challenger's doing but also saying you know people are gonna get sick of always seeing just challenger up there, you know, so it inspires other chapters to say you know we're gonna we're gonna show what we're doing too, you know, take a few pictures and you know I mean I even shot some video when we 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 did our miniature golf um you know kind of made a whole spoof out of the thing so uh-huh. So now, um yeah. So it's it's a it's a way to, you know, again communicate the fact that, you know, even when we're not not all together that we're doing a lot of similar things and we're doing fun things. And and that could also inspire other chapters uh to say, Hey, you know, they they just went to a museum. Maybe we should try to see what resources we have in our area and try that. Or this this group went to did a, a miniature golf thing. We we have miniature golf around our way. You know, let's let's try that. You know, so it's it's an interesting way to share ideas and and uh, do things. So um, now, and, and we also have and it's sep- it's 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 not part of our official Region Seven hierarchy, but we do have the Starfleet guard uh, the. Gar- Garden State Sector Facebook page, which was uh, created basically for the chapters of New Jersey to do. Uh, really, it was more for communication of of sharing um, information to find out when we could do multi chapter events uh, because obviously, uh, and and these things would be open to others as well beyond New Jersey, but. You know, so certain things that may have a particular interest to um, New Jersey members and uh, uh, would be easy to travel to, you know, although even New Jersey is kind of, you know, even though it's a small state, it's it's kind of a big state when you have to travel sometimes. So, um, yes, you know, and it's another way to advertise, you know, chapter events too, like our July barbecue you know I, I just posted something to that one as well as the Starfleet page uh, Starfleet region 7 
So, um, you know, so there's that, and and you know, you the time comes, you can you can join that as well. Um, I'm looking forward. Can I can I join it today? I can go there and. Uh... Yeah. Yes, I think I, I believe you should. You, it's uh. I know they, we changed. We added the name Starfleet in there because originally we just said Starfleet. Or rather, we we had Garden State uh, sector, but it's uh, Starfleet GSS. You could find it and put in your. The administrator is the. Uh, actually, I'm one of the administrators, so you know, I might be I able to prove you tonight. Yeah. Starfleet GSS. So I'll, I'll ask to join right now. Oh, I'm joined already. Yeah. Okay. You had joined already? Okay. Yes, yes, I joined already. I, I think uh, you or someone else had invited me a, a, um, a while ago. Um, okay, great. I'll start interacting here more uh, often. Yeah. And uh, I'm increasing the amount, now that there's going to be activity, I'm increasing the amount of uh, uh, Starfleet Adventure shows. Uh, during the course of the month, I'll probably be doing them on Thursdays, which is the Pride of Olympus Day. Are Thursdays good mm-hmm. for you? Thursday nights, unfortunately, um, are the, is the night that I I work um, okay. one to nine. So, uh, well, I mean, I, I get I would get home, but uh, you know, a little after nine um although you know when i leave i leave at nine i guess i could call in i might be a minute or so late but you know i could i could call from the car no i don't want to i don't want to inconvenience you we'll keep ours on monday then but i'll increase the number of shows and whenever you're free you're welcome to participate uh in any one that you want and uh i always enjoy talking to you and our time is almost up again but uh i am going to be the number of Starfleet Adventures, and I'll be making more use of the Facebook group to, you know, basically connect everybody. And uh, I'm really looking forward to doing this. And I am planning a a a babble between now and the end of the year. You know, it'll be in a restaurant. Uh, there's okay. a, a really great Mexican restaurant in uh, Bergenfield, which is a couple of towns uh, over, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, they they make the best margaritas and pina coladas, so we can uh, we can plan something there and then do an activity afterwards so that nobody uh, has to drive uh, you know with alcohol in them, and uh, yeah just have fun you know get dressed uh, get together and uh, uh, start a new chapter in our Starfleet adventure. Yep, literally. <laughs> yes, literally. Um, are there any announcements you'd like to share before we wind down our journey? Um, other than, um, you know, you guys are more than welcome to join us for our July 6th uh, barbecue here in Ortley Beach. We'd love to see you. Um, okay. Um, there's, there's information on the Facebook page. Um, you know, un- unfortunately, we do have to have a little fee to cover all the costs because we we always sure, you know we of course. we we make sure that there's plenty of food and a, a variety of food. Um, so uh, there's that, but the, all that information is on the Facebook page. Uh, on the GSS page or the Challenger uh, it's page. On, it's on the Challenger's Facebook page. It's on the Region Seven's Facebook page, and it should also be on the uh, Garden State Sector. Uh, 
Facebook Okay, so page. I'll find it. Yeah. And any questions, just reach out to me. Um, okay. But we'd love to see you guys, of course. And um, it's on a Saturday, so, um, you know, and, and, and even if the weather is not good, uh, we'll pack people in here and, you know, maybe we'll be watching some episodes of, of the of the new season of Discovery or something. You know, that's um, great. But uh, it'll it'll give give you a chance to meet some uh, some of my crew and some uh, members of other chapters because you know this this event always brings people from other chapters as well. Um, so uh, you know, it, it'll be a lot of fun. And good, I. I- if I can, I definitely will. I'll let you know before uh, the date. Um, and uh, thanks again, Bob. Uh, this is great. I enjoyed myself a great deal. I learned a lot. And I'm looking forward to interacting with you even more. All right. Sounds great, Herc. You take care. Okay. You too. Be well, my friend. And we're going to listen to... Thank you. Uh, we're going to listen okay. to Bone Pulse Orchestra's Cry Freedom, and then we'll be back with the scholars from the edge of time.
top of her Sings the mystery of the all-expanding universe Trust that brain behind your eyes To carve a space for us within the universal mind And if it's up to us to bring some balance back Let it not be said, it's courage that we Welcome back to Voice of Olympus. I am Hercules Invictus, and I am greatly honored to announce our scholars from the edge of time, Nicholas Dyack and Michelle Brittany. Tonight, their guest is Joshua Henneman, and we're going to learn all about his comic book, Bigfoot, Sword of the Earthman. Greetings and welcome, Nicholas and Michelle. How are you? Good evening, Hercules. How are you? I am doing incredibly awesome. Uh, I'm glad that uh, we're connected in the here and now, and I'm really looking forward to your show today. Um, us too. Joshua, are you here with us? Uh, can you hear me? I can yeah. hear you. Can you hear me? <laughs> I can. I can. I wasn't sure if I was on. Look, listen to the music. I'm like, all right, this is cool. <laughs> <laughs> Let me put the sound on a little higher so we can hear each other better. And uh, I will be here engineering, and uh, I hand the scepter of Olympus to Nicholas and Michelle, and uh, I'll be listening, and I'm here if you need me. All right. Hey, Josh, this is Nick. It's good to hear you. Hey, it's good to hear you again, man. Well, thank you for having me. (laughs) So... For the folks out there, uh, Joshua Henneman is one of uh, Michelle's and my uh, friends. He runs uh, quite a bit of different uh, comic book con circuits down here. He's, he's been on a couple panels that Michelle has moderated. In fact, Michelle has a reoccurring uh, panel called uh, Swords, Sandals, Sorcery, and Other Planets that, um, that I've been on. Some of our other fellow authors have been on, and, and Josh as well. Um, Josh has his own comic book series called Bigfoot, Sword of the Earthman. Uh, that's uh, six issues so far and collected in a, a trade paperback. Um, you know, it pulls the best from the sword and sorcery, sword and planet genres with its own little, you know, twist. I mean, it's got Bigfoot in the title. So we thought you'd be a, you know, 
good guest for tonight for Michelle and I to talk to, to talk about your project, to talk about your work. Uh, yeah. All right. So, Michelle, why don't you start? <laughs> it's awkward because we know Josh, everyone out there. So, we, we, you know, we know the stories, how this all came to be and everything, but you guys don't. So, so some of this might be an old hat for you, uh, Josh. So, so Michelle, okay. you take away the first question. Sure. So, um, Josh, I think to, to help people get an idea of who you are, can you give us a little bit of background about yourself and um, – kind of lead up a little bit to uh, riding Bigfoot. Okay. Um, well, I, uh, well, my name is Josh Henneman, and Bigfoot, Sword of the Earthman, was actually the first comic book I uh, ever wrote and moved out, you know, to Los Angeles, typical, you know, coming out from Iowa. So I think everybody I've ever met out here is a transplant. So they're, uh, every, you know, nobody is from L.A. who I've met yet. Uh, so I moved out here, was doing the writing thing, trying to, you know, come up with an idea for a comic book, and I happened upon a NASA photo. Back in uh, 2004, the rover, uh, the Spirit rover actually photographed what looked like uh, somebody sitting on some rocks. So the media, of course, they picked up on it, you know, a little blurry little image. And immediately they were like, oh, it's Bigfoot. Bigfoot's on Mars. So if you uh, if you Google Bigfoot on Mars, you will actually see the inspiration of the Bigfoot Sword of the Earth Man uh, comic book. I saw that image, of course, and was like, instead of, oh, it's a fake, it's a fake, it was my, my first question was, well, how did he get there? And that became, you know, that was the whole uh, genesis of the idea. And it's uh, it's basically to to put it simply, I always tell people when they say, "What is what is Bigfoot Sword of the Earth Man about?" I always tell them, "It's Bigfoot with a broadsword." You can't get any simpler than that. On the planet Mars. <laughs> On the planet Mars. You say, "Look, he's going to be somewhere." You know, all right, he's he's right there. <laughs> if you do think about it, Josh, you know it is kind of a mixture of all the best of like. X-Files has to offer, you know, aliens and cryptozoology together on another planet. Uh, you know, you're able to get those elements together very, very well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it kind of, once I actually, because I, I, I wrote out, like, if you like, if you look at the, uh, like, the trade paperback, like, the first page, there's, like, a, a crawl of, like, where it says, you know, you know, talks about him being on the planet. I immediately wrote that within like 15 minutes of first seeing the image of, you know, the blurry image of him sitting on some rocks. So like, you know, right away, I knew what this world was going to be. It's just kind of, all the pieces just kind of fell into place. And I mean, it's a mixture of, you know, like Edgar Rice Burroughs, you know, the whole, you know, John Carter of Mars, Conan the Barbarian, you know, Robert E., you know, Howard, all of that, you know, everything just went right into this, you know, Instantly. <laughs> I do got to say, at the beginning of each issue, he does have this crawl. You know, it's kind of Star Wars-esque. And in a very pulp-like fashion, you know, the crawl quickly segues into the actual, you know, title of the comic. So, like, for example, issue one, it says, Savage, brutal, ape-like and mute, lover of women, 
Destroyer of Men. They found da 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 Bigfoot, Sword of the Earthman. And every issue begins that way. It's almost kind of a throwback to I kind of think of like you know serials back in the day. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And it was a way to because you only when you're doing a comic book, you only have about 22 pages to play with when you're doing the monthly book. And I I quickly learned that I was like, there's a lot of backstory about this alien world that I had to get to. And I'm like, 22 pages wasn't enough. So a lot of it, I kind of, I was like, oh, it was a cheat. I kind of put it in that, you know, that little, beginning those little, you know, prologues to each uh, story. And it worked rather well. I mean, it really sets up each issue and kind of gives a little background information of what came before. So. And I love doing those. Those were, those were the most fun with the whole series is writing those little intros. So, so on the subject of story, I mean, you, you gave the elevator pitch that, you know, Bigfoot for sword. Um, but story-wise, why don't you dive a little bit deeper, you know, into what Bigfoot Sword of the Earthman's about? You know, you've, you obviously got, you know, Bigfoot on another planet. Uh, you know, there's there's a lot of themes here. There's some Egyptology in the background. There's insect races running around. There's a jungle world as well. You know, different factions vying for rule of Mars. Uh, but kind of in your own words, like, how would you kind of condense, uh, you know, the first couple issues of what, you know, Bigfoot's about? Um, at its heart, well, of course, it's always, I mean, you can always go into it's the, like you said, it's the whole sword, sorcery, you know, and Sasquatch. Um, that's the big picture of it, but at its heart, it's about uh, basically a guy or a creature who just wants to be left alone. He's that loner in that world that he doesn't quite understand, and it's everybody wanting something from him, whether it's to enslave him, whether it's to you know to kill him, whether it's to you know. And one guy, you know, his little uh, sidekick buddy, uh, Caster Bagworm. It's to use him in order to, you know, to escape his, you know, his situation. And it's it's all about, like you said, these, you know, all these forces trying to, you know, to, to just basically take this creature and force him to do what, what he doesn't want to do. And just, he just wants to be left alone. Just, you know, it's kind of like Bigfoot in, say, on Earth. Like, why haven't we found him? Well, he doesn't want to be found. You know, it's that kind of, that kind of idea. Um so yeah, so that was the whole, the whole what it's really about. You know, it's about loneliness. It's about trying to find your own, you know, community. I guess. <laughs> well, one of the interesting things about Bigfoot is, you know, he doesn't speak, but you still built an entire story around him, and you kind of accomplish a lot of the narrative through, uh, you know, his little psychic pastor's narration that it's highly subjected to, uh, you know, embellishment because, you know, he is a storyteller. I mean, what's this, I mean, it's your first comic. That seems like a, you know, the, the right way to go, but also seems like the hard way to go. You know, usually if you're going to try and make your first comic, it's, you're going to have characters that talk, especially the main <laughs> one. Kind of yeah. barrier. For- yeah, it, uh, it was, it was difficult. Um, but I knew going into it, because there had been comic books where Bigfoot was a character before. Um, one, of the, one of the best ones out there was a comic book called Proof, which was put out by Image Comics. And he was, he was, it was basically kind of like a, a Hellboy-type world where Bigfoot is like an investigator. 
and he's talking throughout the whole thing. So he's talking in every other Bigfoot book, unless there was like one where he was just a straight up, you know, murderous monster. He was always talking. And I, so I, early on, I was like, you know, you know what? Nope. This is uh, he's going to be, he's going to be what you think is just a mindless creature who doesn't talk throughout the whole thing. So I was like, well, how do I do that? And that really kind of came about, you know, like developing the, the narrator character caster, you know, bringing him along and really kind of who tells the story of Bigfoot. And so through the course of it, you first are introduced with him with uh, the Bigfoot character as kind of this mindless beast. And throughout the course of the six issues, you start to learn bit by bit that he's not as mindless as you're, you know, you're, you think of. And each issue, a little more is thrown out there and towards, you know, I guess spoiler alert, towards the end, that's when you realize, no, he's paying attention. He knows what's going on. Sure, he doesn't talk, but he knows exactly what, you know, what's going on in the world. And so it was, yeah, it was a little, it was, it was difficult early on, but it, I, I thought it, it fit. I couldn't see doing it any other way. So, Josh, that, that actually is very um, interesting because that was on my list of, like, how did you kind of come to that narrative structure? Because, you know, I did find that rather fascinating that, you know, through the entire thing, Earthman is is the silent protagonist. And um, to have Caster as, you know, the voice of the, um, the adventurer, um, was actually very interesting and you know there's it it actually seems like um like earthman really is almost secondary to uh caster and even i think it's in i think it's issue four where um in your in your scroll at the the beginning i think the it's actually scratched out and it says you know caster as the 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 adventurer um and, you know, was that kind of a turning point for you in, in the story? I mean, I don't want to spoil too much, so I won't say what kind of happens, but, you know, it, it, it kind of foretells some things uh, with regards to Castor. How, how was it uh, creating Castor as a character? Uh, he was, yeah, he was great. I mean, early, early on I knew, like I said, once I made the decision to have, you know, Bigfoot be silent, I knew I had to have a narrator and that just wasn't some, you know, voiceover kind of thing. And that, and that's all you saw. And so I knew he was going to be a character right away. And just through, yeah, just through developing the, the actual issues. Cause I knew, I knew the beginning, you know, like I said, I wrote that first, you know, crawl that, you know, right, right away. And I knew where I wanted to end up with it's the end of issue number five, and I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but that which leads into issue six, I knew that moment. And so I knew going forward, you know, like how to build, you know, Caster up to that moment where, you know, something happens to, to everybody involved and Bigfoot finally earns the name, sort of the earth man. Um, so yeah, so I knew, you didn't know, Caster going into it. He was going to be this narrator who was, Somewhat unreliable. I mean, you learn you learn early on that he's basically he's a you know that stereotypical liar. He's gonna do what he can do. He does, 
And then it's not really until the end when you see them cross out the Bigfoot, Sword of the Earth Man, and put Caster, you know, Caster Bagworm, that uh, the idea is that it's basically Caster has been, he's responsible for all of these, you know, these little crawls. These, uh, it's just him writing these as the storyteller. And of course, the, you'll, you know, people will note about if there's a crawl in issue number six. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, so following on that, um, can you enlighten us on how you came up with the name Caster Badworm? It's actually, yeah, it's uh, there's actually a bug called a plaster bagworm. So if you look that up, uh, it's a funny story where my uh, uh, my girlfriend at the time, now she's my wife, we met, we're married. <laughs> she. Uh, <laughs> she lived in a, an apartment and they had like a little infestation of these little, little worms, like on the outside of the building. And they were called plaster bag worms. And there were these, just these little tiny, like almost microscopic looking worms. But then they had this like a, probably about a three to five millimeter dust pouch that they carried. And I love the name. I don't know why it's just stuck with me. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to name this, uh, the main character after after this worm. <laughs> so yeah, that's how I came up with the idea for the worm for the for his name anyway. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, which is funny because um, every oh go ahead. No, go ahead. I was gonna say there's a lot of stuff like along with like how I came up with the idea for the comic book based on you know that that NASA image that you know that that they took. But like I said, back in 2004, uh, Caster Bagram, how I got his name, how I got the main uh, – one of the, the, the right hand of the main villain, that uh, Corvan Muspin, he the, – uh, the design of him actually came from – there's like these iguanas. I think it's – I can't remember what the island – they're basically uh, – they'll swim. And if you look up like amphibious iguanas – You'll find these images of these creatures that look a lot like this Coravan Muspin character. You know, they have the little ridge on the back, makes it gives them a little mohawk look to them. So a lot of the stuff that I came up with the world, I, I, I tell people, it's based on science, <laughs> or the inspiration is a lot of, you know, images from uh, the world of uh, science. Wow. Um, well, and you know, so along with the science. You actually developed a lot of mythology, and um, I'd love to pick your brain a little bit about that um, with regards to, well, one, you know, what kind of research did you complete uh, in writing this story? Because, I mean, you, you actually go into some detail like the Heart of the Sun, the Council of the Twelve, Children of the Blue, the Beacon, you know, so you really give a lot of nice flavor to your story by giving a lot of mythology, developing mythology. And I was just wondering, you know, what kind of research did you do to come up with your own world? Um, well, early on, a lot of the mythology of the world was kind of based on what we as, you know, being here on Earth view Mars, what it looks like. For example, in issue two and three, um, I guess mostly two, there are these series of canals on the uh, on the planet, 
And that's taken from the early images of Mars where they thought, oh, my God, there's canals on the planet, you know. Um, and then there's this the idea of there's water underneath the, you know, underneath the planet. So a lot of it came from just researching what we as humans originally thought Mars was going to be all about. Uh, and then, of course, you know, quickly how quickly we learn, oh, no, there's really no canals or anything like that. Um, so a lot of it, yeah, a lot of it was based on that, and and then some of it was, like you had mentioned, the Children of the Blue. I uh, I was thinking about, like, if there was somebody, like, for us, we could, you, you could, you could see, like, back in the day, if people would would pray to the, you know, the Red God of Mars or something like that. And so if you flip that and you have, say, you have somebody on the, you know, Mars. What are they praying to? Well, they're praying to the blue planet. They're praying to the praying to the children of the blue. That kind of and so that's how that came about. So I mean, a lot of it was just kind of playing with the you know the conventions of well, what uh, what would we do if we were living there? What would we see? That kind of you know, that kind of thing. But it was it was just yeah, everything just kind of built, kept building up upon you know one right after another. They just kind of started clicking into place, and some of them. I would write one issue, and I'm like, okay, this is where he goes. And I tried to look at each issue, even though it carried all the way through for six issues, a great epic tale. I tried to make it as much as possible, each standalone issue. And so I would write one issue, and I'm like, okay, well, this issue he's going to be you know, fighting alongside some soldiers who are basically living in a giant bug zapper, uh, <laughs> getting you know, these Martian moth-like creatures, attracting these Martian moth-like creatures. Uh, and then, okay, now this issue, it's going to be a jungle issue, and we're going to, and so that each one I would have to look at as it came along. So I never had everything completely plotted out until it came to that issue, and then a lot of it started with like the titles of the issue, you know, the you know the jungle of death, you know, okay, what's the what's in the jungle of death, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. On the kind of combining your observation there with what Michelle brought up about where you're drawing some of your inspiration from. I noticed there's a lot of sword and sandal elements, especially like in the title, such as issue one is called Devil in the Desert, which to me thinks of uh, the Antonio Margheriti film, uh, Devil in the Desert and the Son of Hercules. And you have another issue called uh, Pawns of the Colossus, and I think of, you know, Colossus of Rhodes by Sergio Leone. So I guess my question would be, you know, going into the different genres here, starting with uh, sword and sandal genre, was that stuff that you drew inspiration from? Was it was it just coincidental? Was that you know also did you like grow up watching like the Hercules films or Jason and the Argonauts and stuff like that? Oh yeah, oh yeah, definitely like Jason and the Argonauts. We had that, you know. It was like I mean, yeah, I'm from the era where it was you had three channels, maybe four if one of them kind of came in, but it was all staticky. So you got to see <laughs> like Jason and the Argonauts, you know, all that stuff like you know. Saturday at midnight, it would be playing on some, you know, obscure, you know, uh, network. So, yeah, so I grew up with a lot of that, and a lot of it was basically from books. Like, I'd go to the library and check out, you know, hey, here's, uh, you know, a book about, you know, the monsters of the uh, of the time. And a lot of it was, the, you know, the stop action, you know, you got to see a lot of that stuff. Like, uh, like the skeletons, the, uh, you know, uh, the cyclops, all of that. So, yeah, it, uh, it all kind of fed into it and like early on I was originally calling the the, the name when I first was first writing the the, uh, the book 
It was originally called Bigfoot of Mars, basically a play on the whole, you know, John Carter of Mars, Princess of Mars, all of that. And while I was writing it, Disney finally, after like, I think it was like 80 years or however long since the book came out, they finally were able to green light the film. And then when they first announced it, it was going to be called John Carter of Mars. I was like, ah, I can't call it Bigfoot of Mars anymore. So then I had to kind of sit back and like, well, what can I, you know, and I went through a list of like, oh, I could call it Bigfoot, Unearthed, Bigfoot, you know, like different ideas. And I just kept coming back to Sword of the Earthman because it played on all of those images from when I was a child, you know, when watching, you know, Saturday, you know, going, you know, Saturday matinees or Saturday midnight shows, playing all of these great, you know, great features. For the record, though, Sword of the Earthman is a pretty cool subtitle. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Although, yeah. I, I agree. <laughs> but, yeah, Sword of the Earthman all the way. Oh, well, that takes care of, like, sword and sandal, but, you know, there's definitely, like, a sword and sorcery uh, feeling going on here. I, I detect, like, flavors of, like, Conan, that classic kind of, you know, 80s-style uh, sword and sorcery-type uh, flicks. Uh, was that also kind of an inspiration on you? I, I'm kind of guessing, aside from your youth of watching, you know, the, the old channels, that you probably rated the VHS section of the, you know, the rental store for old fantasy flicks. Oh, yeah. I tell uh, when I'm describing it to people or when I'm pitching it to, like, say if I'm at a convention and then people are walking, about, walking by, I'll say, Bigfoot with the broadsword. And then I'll go on and say it's, it's Flash Gordon meets Conan the Barbarian with Bigfoot on an alien planet. So, I mean, you have – I tried to incorporate – I didn't want to pigeonhole it into just one kind of genre like that. And so I had, you know, there's elements of sci-fi in there. There's elements of fantasy in there. You've got, like I said, you've got, you know, Conan the Barbarian is a big inspiration for it. I mean, you have Conan who barely talks. I took it that step further and, well, look, my character, he doesn't talk, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, so it's like all of these elements kind of just mashed up into this world that incorporates uh, that, that or attempts to incorporate all of it. So, um, Josh, with the challenge of uh, the title that you had to change, uh, what other kind of challenges did you have in writing your story? Hmm. I think uh, probably limiting it, because originally it was going to be five issues, and then while when I finally uh, found an artist for it, I was like, you know what, I need to, we need to, you know, get one more issue. We need to squeeze out one more issue to tell this tale uh, just because it kept getting bigger and bigger. And then I was like, okay, well, it's too big. We got to cut this down. Um, Yeah. So a lot of it was just kind of trying to fit it within the confines of a 22 page monthly book, which was going to, you know, ultimately was going to tell, tell one long tale of, uh, you know, Bigfoot on this, uh, this planet. So, and your artist is, I'm trying to look, uh, is Andy, Andy Taylor. And then, yep. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, Andy Taylor, he's the artist for it. Tamara Bonvillain is the uh, colorist, and Adam Wallet is the letterer for it. And, I mean, I couldn't, you know, a, a fantastic team. They, uh, all three of them really knocked it out of the park. 
Well, how did you assemble that Motley crew? Well, uh, so when I first uh, so when I first started it, I uh, wrote you know wrote all you know the, the issues for it, and I didn't know any artists at the time, and so I was haunting you know the various conventions here uh, in L.A. I think Long Beach had just started up a few years prior, so I'd gone down to Long Beach, the Long Beach Comic Con, to try to find somebody. And I was I kept running into the problem of anytime I would approach an artist, I would get you know people would be like and I and I learned early on that you have to pay you know that's like so many people are out there trying to like hey you know if you do the artwork for this I'll cut you in on it you know when Hollywood comes calling you know that kind of thing, and so I learned early on was you have to pay your artist, and so even though I was approaching them, I would say hey this is a paid gig. Uh, let me know if you're interested. I, I got varying levels of people responding to it, like, oh, yeah, it sounds great. And then they inevitably somebody would flake. And so I put out an ad finally. I realized uh, that I needed an artist to come to me versus me going out and trying to solicit you know, somebody to join. So I, instead I put out an ad, and it was like 10 p.m. at night, and all of a sudden like – Instantly, I got around 80 people responded to it throughout the world. I it started off like I got, and it was kind of neat watching the world wake up. First, it was like the Philippines. I got people responding, you know, from the Philippines, and then you know I got people from Europe. Then finally, you know, it started getting into Canada and the U.S. And for about two days, I was just you know every you know five minutes, all of a sudden, boom, somebody's responding (laughs) with their page rate and they're, you know, here's my portfolio, that kind of thing. And so uh, on day two, Andy had uh, responded to it and he said, hey, here. and I didn't tell him what the idea was. I just said it was kind of a, like I said, Flash Gordon meets Conan the Barbarian, you know, a sci-fi tale. And he was like, hey, here's my, you know, here's my page rate. Here's a, here's a, an online portfolio. And even though he was on day two, I kept coming back to his stuff. And I was like, you know what? I really, I really dig his style. And so I had him sign an NDA, uh, non-disclosure agreement, and just so I could pitch him the idea to see if it was something he was interested in. And his immediate, re- immediate response was, he goes, dude, had I known that you would be pitching a Bigfoot, you know, John Carter of Mars type story, I would have said I will do this for free. <laughs> So uh, so that's how, yeah, that's how I got Andy. And through Andy, he introduced me to Camera. He'd gone to school. They, the two of them had gone to school together at the Kubert School, which is, I think it's New Jersey. That's the famous, you know, the comic books, you know, sequential art uh, school. Yeah. And so, yeah, so, uh, so that I had the two of them. And uh, for, I originally published this through, I self-published it through Brewhouse Comics. So and it was just the three of us to start with, and we did all six issues, and then Action Lab picked it up. Um, they're a publisher, you know. I, people have probably heard of Action Lab. They do uh, like Nutmeg, they do Princeless, um, all kinds of books, and they wanted to redo all the lettering for it, which was fine. I mean, it was you know good for what it was, uh, and that's how Adam Wallet came on board. He was the he became the letterer for the Action Lab series. And that's how the that's how the crew came about. <laughs> well, that's an interesting journey. Um, can you tell us, Josh, how 
your creative process a little bit. Um, obviously, you know, you had your script, um, and then when Adam came on board, how how did the script change? I mean, were there having an artist? How did what did that process? What was that process like moving from the script to an actual, you know, visual comic book? Yeah. Well, it's kind of neat how. If you, yeah, because you'll, you know, and, you know, as you write the, you know, uh, write the script for it, you have it all in your head, like, oh, this is, I know this is what's going to happen. This is, this is how many panels are going to be on this page. And then what Andy will do is he'll do kind of, uh, from the script, he'll do roughs. And it's like, hey, here's, you know, here's nine panels, and here's roughly where, you know, kind of, it's a little better than stick people where they're going to be positioned. And then from that stage, I can look at it and go, Oh yeah, no, this looks good. Hey, switch it around a little bit. So it's a different point of view. And then from roughs, he'll do the pencils and that's when he gets more fine, you know, more detailed and, you know, and uh, where everything is look almost locked in, you know, you, you have some changes there. And then from the pencils, then you get the inks. And a lot of times, what Andy will do is he'll, you know, look at what I've written and he'll say, hey, instead of a six, you know, six panel page, this would look better as a five panel page. Um, blow this one up and make it look, you know, uh, change some of the, you know, the direction of the people. And it, more often than not, it'll make it look better. And uh, so that's kind of a kind of an insight as to the collaborative process as well. Like they'll, he'll, you know, look at something and go, you know, instantly know whether it can be doable or not. And so that, you know, the creative process there, you're always constantly, I'm, I'm always constantly amazed where, like I said, I'll have something in mind like, oh, this is how it's going to look. And then Andy will come back with something and it's just infinitely better. And I'm like, wow, I had no idea that it would end up looking like this. Um, so yeah, so it's a, it's a cool little process that you see it kind of come to life. And outside of, I guess, doing like a movie or something you never really see other than like if you've written a book you know you see that that you know that prose on the page you're like oh this is awesome but then when you like if you have somebody do some artwork for it you're like it can it just blows you away mm-hmm. it's kind of a rambling yeah. way of talking about it no no it's a, it's it's great to hear because you know for listeners there's a number of people that are interested in comics and so you know getting to hear your story and how your vision came to life uh, in the pages. Um, since you had originally self-published, did you do individual issues and did you fund that yourself? If that's too personal, that you know, just say you oh. know, I'd rather not discuss that. But um, can no, you no, give no. some insight out? Yeah, it. Uh, so yeah, so I originally self-published and we did all six issues. So, you know, 20, and at the time we did, it was, ended up being a 24 page book. So we had two extra pages that we ended up having to cut once we moved over to Action Lab. We were like, they were like, oh no, you only have two pages. So some of the, some of the issues were like, okay, what can we cut? Um, But yeah, so we did uh, six issues, 22 pages. I completely funded it all myself. And this was uh, kind of pre-Kickstarter. I mean, I originally we started, I, I think Kickstarter had been around, but it wasn't as big as it is now. And so there were a few comic books at the time. This was back, way back in 2012 is when the first issue came out. And so we were working on those books 
for about a year and a half, two years prior to that. So we're talking 2010, doing the artwork for it, paying up. And what I would do is for every four pages that Andy uh, completed, I would then, I would, you know, I, I refer to it as cutting a check, you know. So it's like, because one of the things you always hear about is the horror stories of either an artist not getting paid for work they've done or a writer will pay up front and then something happens and he never gets any artwork. So you always hear about these horror stories. And so I was like, well, what's a happy medium for that? It's like, well, here's, you know, for every, like I said, for every four pages, I would cut a check. That way he's getting paid for the work and then I'm getting artwork, you know, at a steady kind of, at a steady rate. Um, And then if anything happens, like, you know, something happens and somebody's got to, you know, somebody quits or somebody, you know, something happens, then you've, you know, you have the artwork for it. You know, you've, uh, everybody's, I guess, happy in that sense, other than if the project is falling apart. Um, So you're not out anything, essentially. So, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, that's how it worked out. And the same with uh, Tamar, you know, paying, you know, on a schedule of, Every four pages that the colors were done, you know, that's what we had. And then finally, once uh, Adam came about, his was, I think we, I just paid the whole book at that point because it's, you know, lettering was a lot cheaper than the page, so it was easier to do. Hey, here's, you know, X dollar amount for just the whole book. <laughs> but yeah, mm-hmm. so that was kind of the process of uh, doing that. And I, I highly recommend that for anybody. Like I said, there's, like I said, all you have to do is just, research horror stories and you'll see a lot of people where they're talking about oh, I paid up front and it was like you know 30 pages you know 100 pages and I never got anything or the artist going hey I'm, I joined on and then the writer just got bored with it and stopped doing anything so I'm out of money and so it's just like yeah, it's like a happy medium for uh, you know just to keep the project you know moving along. Well, and I think that, that that actually worked out really well in your in your favor because so many times, you know, when you have an independent uh, creator, writer, who's working with an artist and you get so far into a series or maybe you get part of it done and then the, the artist doesn't finish out the series and someone else comes in, it can really disrupt the flow of the story. Oh, yeah. 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 No, I, I agree with that. And, uh, yeah, so it's, I guess, you know, it depends on the project. I mean, you could always, if it's something like Bigfoot, I think you could always have, like, the further adventures of where you bring on a, a different artist if it, you know, if it came to that. But, I mean, in this, in the scenario here, I mean, it was perfect. Andy, you know, did all six issues of it. Tamara was on, on board for all of it. So, I mean, it worked, uh, it worked really well. So, Josh, because this was your first comic, what did you do to prepare for this? I mean, I, I know some folks that launch into comics, I think they read, is it Scott McCloud's uh, book? Understanding Comics. Oh, yeah. Understanding Comics. How did you prepare for this kind of going in green? Uh, I actually took a course on, because I've been, you know, much like everybody out there, like read comic books since I was a kid, um, always thought about, I'm gonna one day I'm going to write my own comics. And... UCLA through their extension course actually had a comic book writing class. And I saw that and I'm like, I'm taking it. 
you know, and I, I actually wrote the first issue of Bigfoot uh, during the class, and then we workshopped it, and then the class ended, and then I was like, you know what, I'm, well, I'm continuing this on. I'm going to finish this tale. And so through the class, I was able to, you know, get the format, get kind of the language down, like how you, you would describe a panel, you know, here's page one, it's a splash page, here's page two. There's six panels. Panel one, here's the description of that. Panel two, the description of that. And then adding the dialogue to it. So, yeah, so it was a big help. And, I mean, there's today there's a, there are tons of resources out there that people can, you know, just search for. And you'll see, you know, descri- you know people's scripts are online. I know, like, uh, Brian uh, uh, Bendis, he's got, you know, I think he's got a book out now where it, you know, here's comic book writing. Um, and then there's like a little, there's an online course called Comics Experience. Uh, they do classes, like people can take classes similar to like a, what I did at UCLA. And you see creators coming out of those classes and they'll, they're finding work. The, uh, you know, I mean, they're, you know, they're doing great stuff. Um, so yeah, so there's tons of resources out there nowadays for anybody who's like, I want to write a, a comic book. I don't know where to begin. Or if you're, somewhere where you don't have access to like UCLA or something like that, tons of online sources, online classes that you can take. Yeah. And I would, I will say Josh that uh, Brian Bennett, he does have a book. It came out, I think last year. Um, the okay. other very good uh, reference material would be uh, Dave Gibbons who did Watchmen. Yeah. He also came yeah. up with a book about a year ago as well. So, Josh, i got a fun question for you because, you know, Bigfoot, let's just be honest, this is a fun comic. <clears throat> it's an epic comic. I mean, come on, the cover has Bigfoot silhouetted against the sun, you know, on a cliff, overlooking yeah. Mars. And, um, so, so the question I have to ask is, what's the soundtrack that goes with this comic? If a reader is going to pick this up, are we talking Dio's Holy Diver as he's swinging a sword? <laughs> Are we going to like, uh, you know, Caliber here, you know, Carl Aura? What's, what's the soundtrack here? Um, and I, I know I'm going to butcher the name, but it's obviously a lot of, you know, Conan, you know, you know score Basil Polidurus. I'm not Polidurus. I can't. It's P-O-U-L-O-U-D. I don't know. Paul Adoras is the guy's last name. Um, played it's a lot Poly- of that. Polyduros in Greek. Okay, yeah, it uh, it is an absolutely amazing score to write to in everything he does. I mean, he did uh, Hunt for Red October. He did Quigley Down Under, which is a, a, a another great uh, film score. Yeah, so I, I tons of his stuff I would listen to. Um, what else did I listen to while I was doing this? There's a score. It's an obscure one. I'm, for the life of me, I can't remember the guy's name who did it, but Plunkett and McLean. It's a oh uh, yeah. It's a great movie <laughs> about these, you know, basically these highwaymen. And she loves the sound check. She's got them both. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. But. It, uh, <laughs> yeah. The the last the escape. If you look at the tracks on Plunkett and McLean. There is the escape is one of them, and whatever was right before it, it's the something and the escape. That's the 
this what I listened to when I was writing the very end of issue number five. Like I said, where Bigfoot gets the name Bigfoot Sword of the Earth Man. So he finally lives up to it. Uh, yeah, listen to those two. Oops, say that again. Well, Chuck, I didn't know that about you, so that's very um, – I love it. Yeah, that's her movie, dude. That's <laughs> yeah. Her- <laughs> I, I got another question. I know we've talked a little bit about sword and sandal, sword and plant, sword and sorcery. Um, are you being a Kira Kurosawa fan? Because there's also some samurai vibes to Bigfoot as well. Um you know, uh, you know, basically, he's, he's, you know, silent protagonist with a sword wandering around, you know, kind of like a Yojimbo-type character. Or in another yeah. way, uh, like a Western as well, you know, a man of no name in a weird sort of way, except uh, not as witty. You know, he, well, he's he Clint Eastwood. you got to have your uh, one-liners. Um, right. Is that also some sort of kind of drawing from, or just maybe it has this so pervasive in culture that it's just there? Yeah, I think a lot of it is probably, I mean, because it's there. Like, I remember, like, going to college, we would see, uh, you know, tons of these, you know, films and – or sitting through, you know, like, film appreciation. And they're like, okay, now we're going to watch, you know uh, – uh, is it Ron? Is that it? R-A-N? Ron? We yeah. watched that. Yeah. And it uh, – so a lot of that stuck with me. I wish I was more of a scholar towards it. And really could get into it. So I think a lot of it, that's why when I say Bigfoot's kind of a, uh, you know, basically an, you know, an agglomeration of everything, it, uh, it's like little bits of here and there. And whereas if I was more of like really you know, a student of it, it'd probably be more pervasive, I guess, if that makes any sense. Uh, so as it is, it's the, you know, just a little bit here, a little bit there, that kind of thing. Well, you do know two film scholars that can hook up you up with that. Yeah. <laughs> wink, wink. I think that's, I think that's a whole you know a whole podcast series. You know, just hey, today we're gonna be watching this and we're gonna be you know talking about it. And then you have the scholar point of view, and then you have me, the lunkhead point of view, is like, hey man, I really dug it when they did this. <laughs> Here, I'm, I'm. I'll pitch this to you, dude. Bigfoot, Sword of the Earth Man, director's cut that has the excise pages put in, complete with annotations that, you know, point out all the pop culture references that you're uh, pointing to. Oh, man, that would be awesome. I've often thought of, like, you know, because you see everybody now and then have their, like, oh, here's this issue of whatever, and then here's the director's cut, and they'll talk about, you know, I've, I've often thought about doing that, doing something like that. I think it would be so much fun. Um, yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of, you know, successor projects, you know, I mean, not not to do spoilers or anything, but, you know, issue six of Bigfoot leaves it open for the continuing adventures of Bigfoot. And I, I, th- the big question is, is will we see some more adventures of Bigfoot? I know we alluded earlier how, you know, it would be a cool idea that, you know, different artists to do different stories of them or anything. So, I guess that actually that's maybe the bigger question is, you know, what what is next for uh, Joshua and Bigfoot, either or? Um, I would love to do more Bigfoot. Um, unfortunately, as a guy who financed the whole thing himself, 
Uh, it is making a comic book, and this is for anybody out there. Uh, start saving your money now. It is expensive. Um, but I have toyed with the idea of doing like a Kickstarter. I know uh, Action Lab, they were asking me, hey, do you have any plans for a second one, you know, a, a second volume? Um, so it's out there. I'm, you know, it's right now I haven't. I've never done the Kickstarter before, so there's that fear of, hey, I always tell people, it's like, hey, you're throwing a party, and then nobody shows up, that kind of thing. So it's, and everybody I talk to, it's like, Kickstarter's like a second job. You got to treat it that way. Uh, so in that sense, I'm a little, you know, leery of it, but yeah, I would love to, I would love to get the whole team back together and do it again. Um, but I would definitely make it less than six issues. <laughs> <laughs> that's one thing where it's like you, you learn early on, hey, make it uh, make it four issues, a little cheaper, a little, you know, get to the point a little quicker. Um, so, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, like I said, I would love to love to do more big. I would love to, and even if, like, say the comic book kind of aspect of it didn't work out, I would love to do, uh, could see doing uh, little short novellas of it or even you know full length novel but you know on the you know the old the old school trade paperback maybe 180 pages kind of you know thing um i think that would be fun you know take take the len carter approach you know he'd make a world you know like uh you know jandar callisto it's like wait a second i just made a world i gotta keep going with it you know he kept making additional more there were books, but, you know, they weren't exactly the longest books in the universe. But, you mean, you spent this time basically world building. I think that's kind of the hardest part for a lot of stuff. You've actually done a good chunk of the hard work. You've got a functioning world to put this in. You just need, you, need, you know, the mediums to realize it in. Now, you, you do know you have a lot of friends down here that would help you as best as possible. I mean, I think you know Madeline and Holly Rosing. You know, she does Kickstarter help in class. Oh, yeah. She has a book. You know, and fan base press would definitely give you publicity and stuff like that. So, you know, you got people championing for you, man. Uh, but yeah, I, the same yeah, I hear you. Starter. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'd love to talk a little bit more. I think about you left a, a big teaser towards the towards the end about. Um, there being another another person uh, on the planet. Um, yeah. So where he says, it, "Oh, for, go ahead." <laughs> no, no, no. If, if, if there's going to be another person on Mars that comes from Earth, you jump. You logically jump from Bigfoot to Loch Ness monster. Sword <laughs> wielding Loch Ness monster. Come on. Stories bringing yeah. in overall are different cryptozoological. And then you've got trade paperback three, you've got chupacabras with swords. Okay. Yeah. All right. They, and they <laughs> well, do. I mean, there is, there is that tease in there where I think it's issue number four where they're talking about the, uh, the children of the blue and how they brought basically Bigfoot to the, you know, to the planet. And they mentioned, yeah. I think it was, they mentioned that he's the fifth time that they did it. And so there's another, there's maybe, you know, some, you know, one through four, they, they might be out there. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
Exactly. I know we're kind of getting up toward the end of the, the hour here, but I did want to point out one thing because, you know, a lot of my studies are sword and sandal studies. And so, I, you know, I keep crossing paths with the muscle man, the concept of the, you know, the muscle-bound person, be it Hercules, be it Conan, be it Ursus, be it Mecesti and all that other stuff. Um, it seems like Bigfoot is a kind of a, a different type of continuation of the concept of the muscle man. And you have some, like, uh, scenes within the book that makes me think of, you know, that, that traditional type of hero. You know, many times Bigfoot is chained, which kind of replicates, you know, the old, you know, Hercules, he's in chains, and he busts free from them and everything. I think you've kind of got a cool little twist on the muscle man concept here. Oh, yeah. It, uh, yeah, it's one of those things early on where you're, you know, I, like I said, basically when you, when you get down to it, Conan is was definitely the template for the character of Bigfoot, that silent, you know, doesn't really talk, but is still, once he's, like, enraged, nobody wants to mess, mess with him. Um, and then we kind of, you know, had Andy kind of play with it a little bit, like, when he's not doing anything, he's this little schlubby-looking guy when he's just sitting there, you know, like, sitting down, either drinking something or snoozing. He's like, well, who's this guy? And then when he stands up, it's like, oh, yeah, he's a, a seven-foot-tall, you know, biped, you know, this uh, muscular uh, guy who just basically walks around everywhere. <laughs> I think you're the only person in existence that just referred to Bigfoot as schlubby-looking. <laughs> <laughs> only when he's like, only when he's like, you know, just kind of, you know, just kind of hanging out, you know, doing anything. If you see him, you know, he's in the corner. Oh, who threw those towels over there? Oh, no, it's a, you know, it's Bigfoot. <laughs> well, Josh, you know, we are getting close to the end of the hour and would love to hear um, where can people go to buy Bigfoot? Um, where do people go to, you know, engage with you on social media or just find out other projects that you might be working on? That may or may not be related to microbrewing. <laughs> <laughs> I think you are referencing my Instagram there. Uh, yeah, if you go to uh, on Instagram, Joshua underscore Henneman, you can see all my stuff there. It was started off being a craft beer and comic book site. And it was mostly like, hey, here's some Bigfoot stuff. But mostly nowadays, it's just craft beer. Like, what I, what am I drinking at the moment? Uh, so you can go, yeah, go to Instagram. You can go to Twitter. Uh, my Twitter is Josh S. Henneman. And that's definitely more varied. You'll get me you know, retweeting some stuff and then occasionally some comic book uh, stuff. Otherwise, there's, you know, uh, Bigfoot, Sword of the Earth Man on Facebook. Uh, they can go there. And, yeah, you can just or drop me a line at brewhousecomics at gmail.com. Um, I'll always uh, answer emails if anybody has any questions. And uh, to pick up the book, you can actually go – you can find it on uh, Amazon. Uh, you can buy the trade paperback through there, or uh, if you have a Kindle or an iPad or, or whatever, you can uh, do Comixology, uh, get it digitally as well. Or if you see me at a convention. I haven't done a convention in a couple of years, but I uh, uh, hope to again soon. If I'm at a convention, you can pick up uh, pick up the book there. Well, and, and you know that when I do a sword and sandal and sorcery and other world type of panel, you know I'm going to be, you know, knocking on your door. Oh, yeah. 
So. Oh yeah, I always yeah, I love uh, love going to the conventions, love talking about uh, you know Bigfoot and you know every other inspiration I've had for the book. So I'm there. <laughs> that sounds great, Nick. What what do you have? Any last minute questions? No, uh, you know I know I need to get caught up with uh, Joshua and some of our. Uh, other stuff, you know, I want to do a longer form interview with you sometime. Um, you know, it's just always good to talk to you, always good to have you on a panel, always good to see you at a con, and we know that Bigfoot's a very big passionate project for you. It's always something that we enjoy reading, and as a, you know, a scholar of the, you know, the genre, I like its different take on everything. So, you know, just want to make sure that we spotlight you and, you know, underscore your accomplishment here, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. It's been uh, a, well, a blast. <laughs> so you, you, you guys are uh, awesome. This, you guys <laughs> are awesome. This, this, this was a great uh, show, and uh, I learned more about putting together a comic than I ever have before. So thank you very much, Joshua. Uh, you're, you're a great oh. teacher as a, a creative uh, a person. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. And it was like you said, it's, it was a blast to, to, to come on. And I would do it again. <laughs> uh, awesome. I'm, I'm sure that uh, Nicholas and Michelle would like to have you back on again, and you're always welcome on the show. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Josh. Which... Well, thank you. Uh, thank you again for having me. And uh, thank you to all of you for an excellent episode of Voice of Olympus. Uh, and uh, Nicholas and Michelle, uh, you are, um, you've earned many times over your title of scholars from the edge of time. And, you know, you always bring us such interesting topics, whether we're talking alone or whether you bring somebody else to the show. So you're awesome people. Uh, thank you so much, Hercules. And as always, we appreciate the opportunity in this hour to uh, bring some different scholarship to uh, your listeners. So, again, thank you. It means a lot to us. Yeah, thanks for having us on, and thanks for having our friend Josh on. We hope he was, a, you know, really enlightening for your readers, providing something, you oh, know, yes. different and new to t- I mean, come on, it's Bigfoot on Mars. Yes, how can you stop that? <laughs> Inspired by Conan. And, uh, <laughs> I'm sold, you know. Um, uh, <laughs> Until next time, uh, joyous journeys and happy adventures uh, from all of us. We're going to close with Bone Potence Orchestra's Evolve.